Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It, uh, it's good to see you this morning. Um, I gave you a little uh, taste of what we've been doing on Sunday nights through our journey through the book of Revelations last week, and I guess I'm going to be real nice and give you another taste. <laughs> So we're going to, rather than going to the Psalms this morning, we'll go, Lord willing, to Psalm 29 tonight. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to take your copy of God's Word and open it to the book of the Revelation, chapter number 21. And we're going to read verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. So if you will, uh, stand for the reading of God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and Death will be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he writes, write, said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. These are God's words. You may be seated. You don't have to be an expert in culture and society to know that sin has brought so much pain and so many problems in this world. Let me just remind you of a few of the negative effects of sin, what we have been dealing with since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Separation from God. First of all, um, Adam and Eve were banished from the presence of God, separated from the presence of God. And so every one of us born since then, we too are born separated from God. Um, 
We as saints, we only have a partial sight. And we only experience a partial presence of God. You know, the Bible says we look through a glass dimly. We don't, we don't, we don't experience Him perfectly. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, we deal with desires within us that the Bible says wage war against our souls the way Peter described it. We deal with diseases that ravages the body and destroys the body. All part of the curse that came upon this planet, upon the human race, because of sin. We deal with disruptions in life that defy logic. We deal with disasters and destruction and trials and troubles and pain. We deal with 9-11s. We deal with little children being born like crews with things that we cannot really wrap our minds around why this has to happen. We deal with gunmen that will walk in Walmart and gun down people that are innocent. We deal with all kinds of strange and horrific things. And the root of it all is sin. Is sin. But... But there is a day coming when it'll be no more. <laughs> did, did you hear me? No more. No more. Thus I drop as a title over the text that we read this morning. No more. No more. It'll be done. And so this morning, I want to encourage us in our present situation of sin and pain and suffering and trials and heartache and hardships. I want to encourage you this morning with the certain and the sure hope of future grace and what it's going to bring into our lives. The day will come when the effects of the fall of man and the effects of sin will be no more. Woo! Now, there are five things that I would drop before you this morning out of our text. The first one is, number one, no more separation from God. No more separation from God. Let me read for you again verses 1, 2, and 3. Listen to what the text said. It said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. There's another, whew, after you read that. Um, let me kind of give you a little chronological context here. Um, Christ, and I'm giving this to you as, as one who has a premillennial view, Christ 
returns. We, we saw that in Revelation chapter 19. There is then this thousand year reign of Christ in his church. We saw that in, in, in chapter 20. Then immediately preceding the thousand year reign of Christ, as we saw last Sunday morning, there is a final judgment. There is this great white throne judgment. And in that judgment, every lost person, every person that has, 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 has not had their name written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be banished forever into the lake of fire. And then immediately preceding that, there is going to be an epic, cataclysmic event like never experienced before. There is going to be something that happens after the final judgment that will make all of the cataclysmic events of the tribulation and everything that we have read and seen and studied in the, in the judgments that come upon the planet in Revelation, they will pale in comparison to the calamity that will come. But this calamity that will come that will eclipse all the calamities before them, this this will not be a cataclysm of doom and despair. I mean, all the other cataclysms, you wouldn't run for the rocks and hide if you were lost. But this, this will be a cataclysm of rebirth. This will be a cataclysm about a, that's bringing about a momentous change of glory. The old earth that was damaged by depravity. The old earth that was stained with sin. The old earth that was contaminated by the curse. That earth will be wiped away. It will be burned up. It will be incinerated. Matter of fact, Peter the Apostle writes in 2 Peter chapter 3 about this. He says this. He writes about that day. He says the heavens and the earth now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. In other words, what you see right now, Valdosta community, Spring Park, okay, the Tennessee River, all of it will one day be whoosh, vaporized. No more. Gone. Done. All. Eradicated. It will not exist. And it won't be because China and, a, and the United States and the Soviet Union can't get along and they decide to just unload all their nuclear arsenal. Let me tell you something. This will not, the, the, what is going to happen then will make a total nuclear war look like a day and holiday at the beach. Because it will be beyond our comprehension. It'll all be gone, but it will be replaced, <laughs> according to our text, with the new heavens and the new earth. That word "new" it comes from a Greek word. It's kanos. It it doesn't mean new in chronology or sequence, but it means absolutely new in quality. Absolutely new in quality. Do you completely? Isaiah spoke of it. Isaiah, it's Isaiah 65, verse 17, when the Lord said, through, said this through him, he said, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered. It will not even come 
into mine. Guys, the very physics of the new heaven and the new earth will be different. Be totally different. You say, how? Well, we can't say with exhaustive detail, but we know, for example, it's interesting. For example, in, in this text, we know that there won't, even, there won't be a sea. There will be no sea on the, the earth, according to this. I mean, the hydrological cycle will be no more. I mean, in our present state, we're absolutely dependent upon water. The human body requires water. It makes up 90% of our blood. It makes up about 65 to 70% of our, our flesh. But in our glorified bodies, we won't have the same physiological needs or make up whatever our bodies will be like in that glorified state. It'll be different and it'll be better than we could even imagine. Now... All this is happening. Why? Why the literal vaporization of the original creation? Why? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because God moves in in a way that He hasn't been here since the Garden of Eden. This is why sin is eradicated. Oh my, it's because the perfect presence of God will no longer dwell in heaven, but His throne is in the new Jerusalem, and the new Jerusalem is on the earth, and He will walk with man and among men in the, just as He did in the cool of the garden before the fall of man. What did the text say? I'll say it again. What does God's Word say? What does the truth say? It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they with Him. Oh, in that moment, remember I said in the beginning that because of sin, when we think about God and we pursue God and we seek God, the Bible talks about how we only have partial sight. It's like we see through a glass dimly. We don't experience Him perfectly. There won't be any partial sight then. There won't be any hindrance to, uh, to experiencing and being in the presence of God then. won't be like that. There won't be any more separation from God then. We will behold the glory of our God and our Christ in full view. Listen, we won't just get a little snapshot of God here and there then. When that time comes, when that moment comes, we'll have the full panoramic view of Him and all His glory. Oh my goodness, it'll make you shout if you think about it. <laughs> Come on now. It will be an awesome time. Wow. So there will be no separation from God. That was our number one. Second thing I would point out to you from verse 4 is that there will be, and this is, and everything else that comes as a result here that I'm going to be telling you comes because of that first thing. No more separation of God. God is here. Okay? Second thing is this. There will be no more suffering. Wake up that person next to you and say, He said there will be no more. Thank you. I see one person's listening. <laughs> there will be no more suffering. Now guys, suffering and pain are no foreigners to anybody in this room. We deal with it. I deal with it every single day as I work with hospice patients. 
It's, it, it is especially difficult when you deal with a hospice patient that's in their 20s. Or you've got a hospice patient, as I do right now, that's only 47 years old. And he looks like a skeleton. You see people suffering. You may not see that kind of suffering in your own house at this moment, but there are people out there that are hurting, that are dealing with stuff that make the things we deal with really pale because they deal with life threatening, it's over kind of stuff. Wow. Um, Suffering is so powerful in our lives. But the day will come when suffering and hardship and trials will be no more. Do you hear me? The day will come when it will be no more. Listen again to verse 4. The text says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You know, a lot of preachers like to stop and speculate on what's causing those tears. I'm not going beyond what is written. I'm just telling you what it says. It says there will be, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Wow. You see, where the perfect presence of God perfectly Abides, suffering cannot survive. It cannot. Crying and mourning cannot be where he that is perfect perfectly exists. Death must flee where he that it li- where he that is life dwells in perfect manifestation. All of the sin and trials of the past that have brought pain and regret, no more. No more. Because there's no more suffering and really no more need of suffering at that point. Brings me to number three. There will be no more sanctification. Now you should know what I mean by that term sanctification. That's that process in salvation through which the Holy Spirit uses various means of grace to make us more holy, more like Jesus Christ. Well, suffering is a part of that process, okay? Suffering is a part of sanctification in the life of the church. Um, The agony of affliction promoted our conformity to the image and likeness of Christ. The psalmist said it this way, for example. He said, before I was afflicted, in other words, before I had some tough stuff going on, he said, I went astray. Hint is, after that affliction, I don't go astray in that way again, okay? Um, he, He... You see, uh, suffering is gone here at this point in time when we see the perfect presence of God coming. It's no longer needed. There's no longer that need for sanctification where God's perfect presence is perfectly manifested. His people, get this, where God is perfectly manifested and we're in the perfect presence of God, His people are instantly sanctified. Instantly glorified. You've gone from wherever you were on that process of being molded more into the image and likeness of Christ to all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, boom, you're in the image and likeness of Christ. Wow! 
Can you imagine that? In that instant, no more pool of the stinking flesh trying to trip you up. No more of that bad attitude that creeps up into your mind. No more. No more of that temper that got so easily set off. No more. No more will things allure your eyes that are unholy. No more. Woo! That's called good. Okay? No more. No more in that moment. You see, John who wrote Revelation also wrote in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. He told us about what happens when we see Him as He is. He said in verse 2, He said, Beloved, we are God's children. And what we, we, in other words, we are God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. So we are God's children right now, but there's something that we will be. We're not quite there yet. He says what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know. Not that we're thinking about it, not that we hope this will happen, but we know we're fully assured of this. He says we know that when he appears, (laughs) oh my goodness, he knows that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Wow. That is awesome. Truth. To know that. Wow. Now, in our text, in Revelation 21, John described it this way in verses 5, 6, and 7. He said, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, by the coming of the perfect and personal presence of the triune God, by virtue of the fact that God makes his full dwelling among men, by virtue of his presence, he will make all things new. Not only, get this, not only will the saints, not only will the church be sanctified fully, but the entire creation. The entire creation will be fully sanctified and made new. No more traces of the curse. No more. The lion and the lamb will lie down in the pasture together. The young infant will play with the cobra at his den and not worry about it biting him. Them big, ugly, two black widows that I saw at this dead cedar tree in my yard that I really don't like at all, I can pick them up and say, oh, they're so beautiful because they won't bite me and infect me with poison. It will be an entirely renewed creation. You see, at this time, God says, it is done. Now that ought to sound familiar. It ought to be reminiscent of the words of Jesus on the cross when he said, it is finished. 
And of course, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying the total work for the salvation of his people was accomplished. Okay, it was done. He did it all. You don't have to do anything. He did it. He accomplished it at that time, signifying the, the end of the redemptive work in man's salvation. But here in Revelation 21, this, it is done, signifies the end of the redemptive plan in history. In other words, what happens now is the fruit of the finished work of the cross. Okay? In other words, the fruit of what the cross has accomplished is fulfilled at this point in time. Because the cross was all about making all things new. And what Christ had done is fully realized at this moment. He became a curse, breaking the curse. And now the full effect of that is made known at this point in time. Um, the, the end of verse 6 and then verse 7 uh, sort of, it's kind of strange, it's John's right, he sort of turns away from this event, he, he makes, to the, really our present moment making a somewhat evangelistic appeal. What does he say? He then says to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And so I would just remind you this morning, you, do you hear what he's saying? Okay? Do you hear what he's saying? If you thirst for God... Come and drink the water of life. You know who that water of life is? It's Jesus. Come and drink of Jesus. If you by faith drink the water of life, Jesus, you will be an overcomer. What did John write over in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5? He said this, For everyone who has been born of God, they overcome the world. In other words, they conquer. They're an overcomer. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. <laughs> who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So you overcome through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your heritage will then be that He will be your God and you will be His child. Amen? That's good stuff. Now, so what, what do we see? We see that there's no more separation from God. Then that means there's no more suffering. And when there's no more suffering, because there's, number three, no more need for sanctification. And number four, there'll be no more sin. No more sin. Verse 2, verse 8. Um, wow. You see, on this glorious day described here, the flesh with all its appetites, all of its affections, all of its allurements will drop away forever. When that day comes, all the saints will be perfectly wired the way they were intended to be wired to begin with. They will be delivered from the presence of personal sin. And they will be, we will be in bodies, get this, that cannot sin. Can you imagine that? Wow. 
We will be in a body and a land that is free from the blight and temptation of sin. We will be free. We will be free to worship, free to praise, free to live perfectly for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul sort of describes this to us in his first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 15, verses 48 through 54. Listen to these words. He says, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, and that's talking about Adam, by the way, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's Jesus, just in case you're wondering. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Number five. Not only, you see, will there be no more separation from God, and not only will there be no more suffering and no more sanctification, and not only will there be no more sin, but consequently, number five, there'll be no more sinners. There'll be no more sinners. Verse eight. Listen to what... Verse 8 says, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Sinners will be. Sinners that died without Christ. They will not be transformed like the church into these sinless bodies that will not sin. But they will be banished forever in the lake of fire, never to commingle with the church. Never. They will be cast into the lake that at this point in time, Satan's imprisoned there now, the beast and the false prophet are in prison there. The, the Antichrist and the false prophet are there. And then all these masses of people, masses of people, because broad is the road that leads to destruction, or many are they that travel upon it. It will be emptied into the lake of fire. I pray that not one of you will be a sinner whose portion will be in the eternal lake of fire. Your only hope, our only hope, our only hope of rescue is Jesus Christ. From a practical standpoint in real time, I would tell you, admit your sin and admit your need for a Savior. 
Know that God and God alone can rescue you in Jesus Christ. Turn to Christ. Call on Christ. Repent and trust in Christ alone for your rescue today. Because that is the only way. Let's pray. Father God, we bow before you. And Lord, we thank you for this moment that you've blessed us to be together. God, I pray that, Lord, the beautiful reality of the future grace to come will encourage our hearts in the midst of the pain and the struggle that is so real right now. Lord, I pray that anyone who hears my voice, that, Father, if they are lost without Christ, I pray, God, that you would graciously, graciously rescue them from themselves and cause them to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen and amen.